Hey guys, it's good to be with you tonight. Um, let me just uh, get situated for just a quick second. But uh, I, Steve, the last time I was hanging out with Steve, he told me that when I came, the next time I came to Anchorage, I had to visit this uh, cultural oddity uh, in Anchorage. I believe that you refer to it as Cars on Gamble, right? <laughs> and so, listen, this place lived up to all the hype that Steve talked to me about. Um, I, I've got to share with you this story because it is unbelievable. Um, I mean, it is. It blows my mind, even as I think about it right now. So I had some time this afternoon. I had Steve's car. I'm driving around. I'm like, I got to go check out Cars on Gamble. And so I, I forgot a couple of toiletry items. I flew down this morning to spend the night, have some meetings tomorrow, and off again back to Fairbanks. And I thought, oh, I'll just step in there, grab a couple items, and uh, and then just you know check out the the oddity of what this is. And, uh, and basically had about my day and, and prepare for tonight's message. And so I walk in, and, and you know, there's nothing there. Um, and it's just this odd place that, that is happening culturally, and I'm just, you know, I'm amazed. But what was really interesting to me was there was this woman that kept following me around. So I'm, like, walking around and looking for my toiletry items, and she is, like, staring at me very awkwardly. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that to you, but of all the things that Steve has told me about Cars on Gamble, um, I'm a little worried, like I'm worried about my personal safety, my security, all of those kind of things. And so this woman is like aisle for aisle, just kind of eyeing me and, and going. And, and so I'm headed towards the checkout, and she like gets in front of me, and she like stops me. And exactly, I'm like, um, <laughs> excuse me. And she said, I'm so sorry to stop you, to interrupt you. Um, but I, I have to tell you that you look just like my brother. And she actually started to, like, tear up and start to cry. And I was like, okay. And she goes, well, my brother, he, was, he died in a tragic car accident, like, three weeks ago. And I saw you, and you look just like him. It just caused this emotional response, and I know you're not him. And, and I just recognize this is, like, a spiritual moment. And so I got a chance to talk to her a little bit, and I asked if I could pray for her. And so I took a moment to pray for her. And um, you know, to make a long story short, um, we just had this, this really great moment, and uh, we were headed towards the checkout line, and, and just before we got there, she, she looked at me, and she goes, I, I know this doesn't make sense, and this may be really, really awkward for you, but when I check out and I leave, uh, can I just, like, wave my hand at you and, and say goodbye, and can you say goodbye to me, and it will help me find closure in this moment? And uh, yeah, exactly. I was just like, you know, that's that's absolutely fine. And so I let her go first in the checkout line. She had a, a, a full grocery basket, as much as you can have from Cars on Gamble. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so she checks out and she does exactly that. She's headed out the door. And as she goes out the door, she turns around and she says, thank you. And she raises her hand and says, goodbye. And I said, no problem, goodbye. And so she went out the door. I had like two items. And I sent the two items down on the, the conveyor thingy, and the lady rang it up, and, and she said, that'll be $186.73. And I said, excuse me? She goes, yeah, your sister said that you were going to pay for her food. <laughs> exactly. Listen, I'm a preacher. A lot of anger right now, right? <laughs> like played beyond played. And so 
I'm like, you can keep this stuff. I'm going to go find that woman. And so I run outside in the parking lot, and she is, like, throwing stuff in this beat-up Subaru, slamming the hatchback, and I go tearing off across this parking lot. And I'm like, I'm going to catch you, you turkey. And so, <laughs> no lie, listen, listen, she is, like, scrambling to get in her front car door, and I am there. And I start grabbing at her, and I'm like, you are not. And she goes, oh, yeah, and she's getting in there. And I start grabbing, and we're like, she's tussling with me. And I'm thinking, this is, this is insanity. Finally, she's like in the car. She's trying to get it started. She's got one leg hanging out. I grab her leg, and I am start pulling on her leg just like I'm pulling on yours. <laughs> Some of you are like, wait, what? It's a total joke. I'm going to let that sink in for just, <laughs> Jesse's like, I'm out of here, man. So believe it or not, that story actually has a purpose. Um, we're talking about the development of deception. So some of you will forgive me by the end of tonight. Some of you just are going to hate me forever, right? You still can't, you're like still like can't grasp that I would bring you to that moment. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I hope it, you remember it forever. <laughs> All right. So before we go any further, we're going to find a spiritual moment. We're actually going to ask the Lord to be with us. Um, and hopefully you can forgive me and hear what the Lord has to say. Um, as I was saying, um, tonight we're going to be talking about this concept that I think is, is really important for us to understand. Um, it's this, what I would call the development of deception in our lives. Last week, Steve talked to you guys about sin and about how sin has an impact in your life and how you can find forgiveness, and, and God wants to not just cover sin, he wants to take it away. But um, tonight, we're going to look at how deception and how lies come into our lives, not just for the sake of looking at lies, but for, to be able to understand how to combat those lies that come to our lives so that we can live the kind of life that God desires and has designed for each and every one of us. You see... Uh, if you guys can remember, we're going to be reading in Genesis in just a minute, but if you guys remember the, the story that begins in Genesis with Adam and Eve, uh, God's intention was to live in, in complete unity with God. It was his intention for mankind to be in relationship with him, to give God glory, and to enjoy God. Like they say, you know, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, then Adam and Eve sinned, right? They rebelled against God's rulership, against his, Lord, their Lord, his lordship in their lives. And as a result, uh, what ended up happening is there was this division, this breaking of relationship that happened. And, and mankind, humanity was separated from God. And God throughout history has been working tirelessly, effort completely with, with all the desire and passion that he has to reunite, to reconcile relationship with us. But we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is a train wreck of humanity that looks nothing like what God intended for us to be in relationship with him. One of my favorite authors, a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, describes it like this. 
Uh, imagine a train wreck. Like, imagine that you've never seen a train before, and I start to tell you about a train wreck, uh, about how it derails, and, and the cars get scattered, and you walk upon this scene, and, and, and there's these, the engine is smoking, and, and pieces of metal flung everywhere, and the, the dirt is dug in, and the rails are bent and twisted, and the, the things that were in the car are scattered all over, and there's bodies laying across, right? And and if you walked up and you'd never seen a train before, and I said, this is a train, what would your perspective of that train be? A mess. And you see, that's what we've been born into. You see, God's original intention of what a train is supposed to be, what your life and your relationship with God is supposed to look like, is nothing like what we've experienced in this world. You see, deception and lies have come in, and they have twisted our understanding, our thoughts, our values, our beliefs, just like they did with Adam and Eve. And I believe that if we look at the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see the steps that the devil took to develop deception in the lives of Adam and Eve that caused them to fall and rebel against God. And by looking at those steps, I think that we'll not only understand the steps of deception, the development of deception, but we'll also understand some of the antidotes or the things that we can do to keep those steps from progressing in our lives. You with me? Okay. So now that some of you don't hate me as much as you did five minutes ago, <laughs> let's pray. All right. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight. And Lord, I just ask that your presence would be here Lord, that you would just uh, begin to move on our hearts and on our minds. God, that your spirit would just uh, have free reign in this place. And Lord, if, if we've come to this place with burdens, with hurts, with brokenness, that if we've come with, with sin and baggage, Lord, that you would just begin to help us see clearly. But Lord, not just see, but begin to understand how you want to love and take those things from us because you are the good shepherd. You are a good God who wants to bring comfort and peace and joy but, Lord, it comes when we surrender to you. God, that we would see truth tonight, Lord Jesus, and we would understand how to live so that we're not a train wreck, Lord Jesus, but so that we live as we're supposed to be in unison and in genuine relationship and in love with you. Lord, we trust you in your precious name. Amen. All right, well, let's begin by reading Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I think we're going to read verses 1. It's actually 1 to 7 and then 13. I hope that slide's right. But we're going to go there. All right. So now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, uh, did God actually say to you, shall, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew what they were they knew that they were naked, and they sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you skip down in verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the first step that I see in this portion of Scripture that I think we need to pay attention to is this simple little concept of what I would call an independent spirit. You see, Scripture, when we read this in verse 5, it says this. It says, uh, Satan look, told um, Eve that you will be, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So what is an independent spirit? You guys are Alaskans, right? You, you love independence. I, I come from the lower 48, spent time overseas as a missionary, and I have never been more astounded than when I'm sitting with Alaskans from rural Alaska who take pride in being able to do everything themselves. Like, they don't need anybody. They can survive with, without anything, right? And that's not what we're talking about, right? Independent, independence is a good thing. Like, your parents want you to adult. We call that adulting now, right? They want you to adult. They want you to move out, get a job, and live on your own. As a parent of a 16-year-old, that's my hopes and dreams for my children to leave, okay? Some of you need to take that clue. But the point is, is this, is that independence is not necessarily a bad thing. An independent spirit is. An independent spirit says this. It's, it basically says, I don't need or want anyone else, their opinions, influence, or approval. And an independent spirit does this, guys. It isolates you and starts you on a path of believing twisted thinking and half-truths, which will eventually end up in deception. As we build small groups and, and coach and, and pastor small group leaders up in Fairbanks, I can always tell there's something going on in someone's life when they begin to separate themselves from community. It is the beginning of recognition that this person doesn't want to hang out. They don't want to be with their brothers or their sisters. They, there's some reason, there's some sin, some hurt, some brokenness that is causing them to want to be alone. An independent spirit is the beginning of deception. What's interesting is that both God and the devil are saying the same thing. Did you guys know that? In this verse, they both are asking us to be like God. Satan is literally saying, you can be like God. And God is asking us to be like him, though, in character. The devil is asking us to be like God in position. You see, that's drastically different. Satan is wanting and tempting Adam and Eve to take the position of God in their own lives. The difference is the motivation of heart. You see, we were created for God, for his glory, and an independent spirit is the antithesis or the antichrist of our purpose. It is a desire for our own personal glory. An independent spirit from God is an attitude, and this is good, guy, guys, it's an attitude of ungratefulness. Did you catch what happened in this verse when, when Satan approached Eve? He said, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? That was partly true. It was a half-truth that came in, but it planted a seed in her mind saying that God has kept something good from me. Instead of looking around and recognizing that all of the world and every part of this existence, everything good in your life has come from God. And everything that's bad there, God can still work together for good for those that love him. He can waste nothing in your life. The worst experiences and circumstances that you face, he can take and make good. But the key to not having an independent spirit is to not live in ungratefulness, but to live with gratefulness in your life. This is incredibly powerful, guys. I was talking to the, some of the interns this afternoon about this attitude. And when we choose humility, when we, we choose to bow, 
to those in authority and leadership in our lives, that it's an attitude of submission. It's an attitude of, of, of humility that's based on a choice of, I want this to be what's right, the character that's in my heart and my mind. An independent spirit is a choice of gratitude. The opposite of an independent spirit is a choice of gratitude. Ungratefulness says, I don't need God. It says, I can replace God with myself. My will, my desire becomes the chief end of my life. This is humanism, right? This is what our world says, is that we can be the God of our lives. This is what caused Satan to fall, and this is what caused Adam and Eve to step away and rebel against God, because they said, I can be like God. When I was uh, 16, which seems like a really long time ago, some of you are like, you weren't born when I was 16. Most of you probably weren't born when I was 16, um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I tore my ACL. I played high school basketball, uh, played in college, and but at 16, I had an injury when I was playing in a, in a game. I had someone basically on a fast break come through and, and cut out my knees. And what ended up happening is my knee bent the wrong way, um, yeah, it was awesome, and tore my anterior cruciate ligament along with meniscus damage and all that stuff. And, and when that happened, um, I actually continued to play later on in that game and tried to play another game, and what was a partial tear ended up being a complete tear. And, and long story short, I ended up at the doctor's office, which ended up in surgery, which brought me to this point of the story that, that I am now at home, just getting out of surgery, having uh, a massive knee uh, repair that's happened and, and being told that I needed to rest for six weeks. My mom's a nurse, um, and she was, uh, we would call her like a mother hen now, I don't know, a helicopter mom, right? Um, and so she loved to mother, particularly in the healthcare area, and I was a pretty independent, strong-willed 16-year-old. Like, I was not willing to listen to what my mom said. My daughter is much better than I was. My 13-year-old probably won't make it to 16, so that's okay. It's not going to be an issue for him. But the point is, is this, is that my mom gave me specific instructions that I was supposed to stay um, immobilized on the couch. I was not supposed to get up and move around. I was supposed to keep my knee in a place that it could heal right after the surgery. And I remember so vividly in my mind when she walked out the door saying, I'm my own bo boss. I want, I'll do whatever I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. I didn't say it to her face because she wasn't there, but that's what I said cowering in my corner on the couch, right? <laughs> I can do whatever I want to do. That independent spirit began to rise up in me. I'll get back to that story in a minute. But the second step that happens in this portion of Scripture is not only is there a, the evidence or the creation of an independent spirit from the devil, but there is the, the willingness to make a selfish choice. In verse 6, Eve sees that the fruit was delightful to the eye. It says that it was good for food and good to bring wisdom, and she recognized that this was something that she wanted in her life, right? And instead of allowing an independent spirit to be quashed with gratefulness and saying, no, uh, God has given me everything that I need. I trust him. I love him. Instead, she said, no, I don't trust God. I want to do what's necessary to make me happy in this moment. And so she rejected what God had provided for her, and she chose a selfish choice that would eventually separate her from God. You see, this is 
the outflow of a motivation that begins with an independent spirit. Once we have ungratefulness in an independent heart, we will make decisions based on selfishness and personal interests and preservations. Instead, our actions should be made from a perspective of selflessness and worship to God. I would tell you that the opposite of selfish choices is love. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard or the way that I perceive love, the definition that I use is that love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom, which means that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. That if you unselfishly choose for God and his kingdom, that's choosing what's best for God and choosing what's best for his people, which means that when I enter into a relationship with my wife or with my kids, I don't always give them what they want. I always don't take care of them the way that they want me to take care of them because I want to take care of them what's for best for them. So when my eight-year-old comes to me and says, I want to eat a whole jar of Nutella, I look at him and say, no, because I love you. I will not let you eat that jar of Nutella, right? That's what parents do. I'm choosing for his best interest. It's not always pleasant. It's not always easy. But as a parent, if I truly love my children, if I truly love my wife, I'm going to choose what's best for them. And when we choose selfishly for ourselves, we take the next step in deceiving ourselves and separating ourselves from God. So I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm looking at the, uh, this big picture glass window on our house and this our house had like a split level scenario it's kind of like Stephen Aaron's right now if you've been there they've got a, a split level with this big picture window that goes across and we had sliding doors and my parents owned some property with woods in the back and there's this fireplace that's sitting off to the right in the same room and it was the middle of winter and I was dead bored of watching tv and I'd read every book that I could imagine and I was just bored out of my mind and I thought to myself man it would be nice to have a fire, drink some hot cocoa, and hang out by the, 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 the fireplace. And, you know, the thought went through my mind. My mom said, and I was like, my mom doesn't know anything. And, and I can do whatever I want to do, right, because that's a typical 16-year-old. And so what I decided in that moment was that I was going to choose selfishly. And so I got up on one leg, and I started to hop across the, the living room, and I opened up the sliding glass door, and it's covered in snow. I grew up in Michigan, and so there's four or six inches of snow. That For Michigan, that's a lot. But there's four or six inches of snow, and it's covered on the deck, and out at the back of the yard, probably close to 150 yards away, is the wood. And so it's winter, and I'm hopping on one leg all the way out there, grabbing two sticks of lumber, and I'm hopping back, and I'm doing it over and over and over again, choosing to do something selfish. Now, Obviously, most of you are thinking that I slipped and my leg fell off, but it didn't. I was totally good. I was an athlete. I was coordinated, and it worked perfectly, all right? It was wonderful. And so I brought the logs in. I set them on the mantle, and I began to sit down. The next step that we were talking about when it comes to the development of deception is not only a selfish choice, but a selfish choice left unchecked will end up in a seared conscience. In verse 5, um, what happens is, is, is Satan looks at, at Eve and he simply says, God knows. And it didn't bother her. Do you understand that, that Eve had an understanding that this was going to offend and, and, and break God's heart. But the selfishness had taken control of her actions and her actions are now becoming a seared conscience. You know, scripture talks a lot about a seared conscience. 
in 2 Timothy, it, it talks about how the seared conscience can be, can be brought back to, to renewal. But, but a conscience is this. How many people have ever had a callus on your hand? Okay, some of you have worked. All right. A callus on your hand develops because of pain, doesn't it? So when you are doing a repeated action with a shovel or a hammer or, or any kind of, of thing that may cause damage to the flesh on your hand, the skin on your hand, your body develops a system to, to combat that pain, to combat the damage. And so skin begins to build up in a way that you can rub that portion of skin, that you can beat it to death, and it becomes this hard, callous piece of, of skin that doesn't have sensation or feeling anymore. And when we continue to choose selfishness in our lives, what happens is, is our heart develops that callousness. We no longer feel the guilt or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We no longer begin to recognize when God says, this is wrong, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not how you are supposed to live. This is not what I designed for you. A seared conscience is a denial of truth in order to keep choosing selfishness. Listen to that. I think about the world we live in, guys. And, you know, I'm 40 years old, and so I've lived probably twice as long as most of you. And, and I know that old people like me talk about the good old days, but they weren't good, okay? They were just less technology, and, you know, it's a little bit slower. But... I will tell you this, that the world that we live in has a much more seared conscience than the one that I grew up in. That people are much more comfortable with doing things that when I was growing up, we wouldn't consider doing. And people are not just considering doing them, they're willing to do them brazenly out in public without concern of what other people may, may think or be concerned about. I'm not saying that's the judge in any way, shape, or form of our action. Let me hear my heart on this. That as we continue to move throughout history, as our culture, as the world continues to move down this path, if there is not a call, a reawakening of God's presence in this world, we will continually move further and further and further away from God. And it is you and I's responsibility to have a personal revival with Jesus and then to be the source of an awakening in this world. Do you guys understand that a revival is for family? It's for those of us who walk with Jesus to be revived. You were once alive and to be brought back into that aliveness that's here. But we are not just called to be alive for ourselves. We're called to be an awakening. An awakening moves across, and it begins to wake up the world to what God has for this planet, what his desire is for the people that you go to school with, you go to work with, you, you live next to. God has a plan and a purpose for them. And as long as our conscience is seared, we will not only not fulfill what God has for our lives, we won't even recognize. We won't even recognize the world around us and the hurt and the brokenness and the pain that they're going through. I've had calluses on my hand to the point that when my wife holds my hand, I can barely feel her touch. The way you get rid of calluses, though, is really simple. You stop, right? You stop doing the thing that causes calluses. You find sensitivity 
by letting the thing that causes callousness in your heart go. Think about things like, well, we'll we'll move on. Godly community. Let me say this. Another way to, to combat a seared conscience is godly community. Are you guys good? You're awful quiet. You're listening? You sure? You're absorbing. All right, all right. Godly community. I love it when I sit with my friends who have walked with God longer than I have, who have more experience, and I I listen to them speak, and I hear their stories. And all of a sudden, when they start talking about the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the beauty of God, there's a, a new conviction, a new understanding, a new softness that is brought into my life. So, I'm sitting on a couch, I've got wood, and I decide that I need to have a fire. And so I go over to the fireplace, and I start a fire, and it starts to roar like it is, it's awesome. I get my hot cocoa, I'm having a great time, you know, I'm just chilling out, you know, just, just enjoying the peace and the quiet of my home. My parents are at work, my siblings are at school, I'm just like the king in the castle, you know. And uh, I'm basking on my couch, and I, I get done with my fire. I put my dishes up. I wash everything because I don't want to get in trouble. And as I'm going to plop back down on the couch, I notice that there is some debris left on the mantelpiece, right? And so I decide <clears throat> in this moment that I need to um, clean up because I don't want to get in trouble. And so I go and get the vacuum. Now, my mom, I love her to death. Um, She is, as I said, uh, a little bit of a helicopter mom. She's also what I would consider uh, clinically a me freak. Um, I don't know if you've ever had someone in your life that is obsessed with cleanliness. My mom is is that person. Like, it is a little bit over the top. And, And so she invests in, like, cleaning tools. And one of the tools she had invested in was this, like, I don't know, $1,500 vacuum, okay? It's some insane Kirby high-end. It's like plated in gold. I don't know. And so it's like this amazing tool that cleans things. And so I go to the closet. I grab the vacuum, and I plug it in. And, you know, all this is on one leg. I'm hopping around, and I'm vacuuming the floor, making sure that there's no debris left. And I go over to the mantel place, and there is some random pieces of bark and things on there and so I get the hose attachment out and I plug the hose into the front of the vacuum and I start sucking up all the debris right again one leg so I'm just kind of hobbling there making this work all over the place and then all of a sudden I start to smell something and it's this funny smell it smells like plastic on fire and I turn around and my vacuum is exploding in flames I had sucked up a coal And the coal had landed in a bag full of very flammable debris with lots of oxygen rushing over it. And so now I have a flaming vacuum that is just ridiculously on fire. And so I am 16 years old on one leg, and I have a flaming vacuum, and I'm bouncing around in my house. I can't figure out to do, what do you do with the flaming vacuum? I go to the garbage can, and I'm like, it won't fit in the sink. And all of a sudden, I open up the sliding door, and I throw it out onto the deck, and the deck catches on fire. Yeah. 
so all of this gets done. And I remember I sit down on the couch and I thought, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and this is, this is the point. Listen, guys, this is the point where intellectual deception comes in. Because the next step is intellectual deception. The next step was, I can fix this. I don't have to be caught. I can make this work. Some of you are totally recognizing my thought pattern right now. You're like, oh, I can totally imagine doing that. And so what I did is I got on the phone and I started to call every vacuum repair shop in, in Metro Detroit area to figure out who sold the parts for the Kirby that I had just set on fire in, in ragged flames, okay? I had, it's like 30 degrees out. I have every door and window open in the house because the house stinks and smoke and, and burning plastic. And I am doing everything to cover up my issues, right? Intellectual deception. Listen, uh, Satan looked at Eve and he said, you will not die. You won't. Don't worry about it. God's not going to kill you if you disobey. It's not what you think. He is totally okay with this. And what ends up happening is, is that she buys this line, uh, hook and sinker. How do you say that? Buys this lie, hook, line, and sinker. There it is. See, I can talk. Um, intellectual deception. It follows. Listen to this. This is so good. Intellectual deception follows moral rejection. Intellectual deception follows moral rejection. So this is what I see in students' lives all the time. They start doing something morally inappropriate, whether that's with a boyfriend, girlfriend, drinking, alcohol, drugs, uh, cheating on tests, whatever it may be. They do something that they know is wrong. And in order to live with the thing that they're doing wrong, they have to construct a new intellectual understanding. They have to create an intellectual understanding that will allow them to live the way that they want to live. Your conscience has been seared. You're doing things that you know is not right, but because you want to continue to live in selfishness, you create a world where this is okay. You know what this is called? It's called atheism. You see, I don't believe there's a person in this world that looks around and says, oh, this wasn't created by an intelligent design. You can't do it. There's not a scientist in the world that can sit down and say, oh, this is totally random. You're out of your mind. Science has proved itself over and over and over again. The problem is, is that if there is a God, we have an obligation to him. And so it's much easier to say, I don't want to be obligated, therefore there is no God. Do you see the path that the world is on? We've created an intellectual system to where we can remove ourselves from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we can do whatever we want to do, and we make ourselves our own gods profound. It's happening all around us. So, vacuum's on fire. It was. Snow on the deck. I didn't say, like, burned down. Definitely left some charred marks, man. Called all these shops, drove around. I literally like spent two hours driving a stick manual stick shift, the only vehicle in my house, right? Right leg is surgery, so I'm driving a manual with my left leg. <laughs> true story. God's honest true story. Drove all over Metro Detroit. This is not like Anchorage driving. I, I'm sorry, this is, you know, this is a big town for Alaska. This is not a big town. 
And so all over Detroit, found all the parts I needed from multiple shops, went back, put it all together. Listen, I am a crafty little turd. <laughs> I filled it with dirt, right? Because I knew that my mom would know that something was up if the bag was perfectly clean. And so, like, I got dirt and debris. I dusted the new parts. I rubbed them and scraped them to try to create, like, this idea that, that it was used, right? I got the house back to temperature, cranked up the heat, got the smell out of the house. Everything was perfect. It was, like, five minutes before 5 o'clock. My mom's supposed to be home. I plopped down on the couch, and I'm like, I got away with this. Right? False. You don't know my mom, right? My mom walks in the door, God's honest truth, two steps. She simply said this. She yelled across the house, what did you burn? <laughs> and at that moment, listen, at that moment, I did what we have to do. I came to her and I repented, right? I confessed my sin. I broke down and I said, this is what happened. I tried to fix it. I'm so, so sorry, okay? So sorry. But what happened was, is this, is in my mind, I had turned my mom into an animal who would be so angry and so upset that I burned her vacuum, that I disobeyed her, that somehow I would be rejected by my mom, and that if I didn't fix this situation, right, that even though I knew that I was wrong, I refused to recant, I refused to go to her to repent, to ask for forgiveness in relationship until I was caught, because I turned my mom into something that she wasn't. See, we call this emotional perversion. They knew that they were naked and they hid themselves. They began to have a perspective of who God was that wasn't true. You see, we're here at this point in history. Not only do we reject God, but if there is a God, he's a, he's a bad guy. Look at all the suffering and the pain. Why doesn't he do something about it? If there is a God, this is a horrible existence. Why would a good God do something like this? You see, there is a rejection of the truth about who God is. That God is good. That the brokenness in the world is the result of our sin that has brought sin into this existence, that has allowed it to deform and deface and to wreck the world that he made perfect. The disease that racks humanity. humanity. We have made ourselves out to be God. We have become numb to God's conviction. We no longer feel his conviction. We have constructed a worldview that allows us to live and behave as we see fit. We have become emotionally perverted, deceiving in our hearts, ignorant in our minds. question I guess I have next is, so what? What do we do with this? I don't know if Olivia or someone can come and play some music. I'm, I'm not going to drag out, I don't, yeah, that music stuff, those musical instruments, right? 
How many people enjoyed like the announcements? That was the best announcements that I think I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty spectacular. I'm not interested in buying any monkeys, just so you know. <laughs> I've got four kids. All right. So the, the question is, is what do we do about this? If this is the progression that each of us are on, right, we live in a world that walks us through these steps every single day, that calls us to be independent. I can do what I want to do. I mean, everything from, you know, have it your way. I don't know, what is that, McDonald's or Burger King or one of those things, right? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm not connected to culture. I don't really care. I don't. And you shouldn't either. You should be connected to God. And he's counterculture. Sorry. The, the question is, is what are we going to do with this? When an independent rises up, independent spirit rises up in your life, what are you going to do? I bet as I was talking about an independent spirit, there were dozens of people in this room that go, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I, I, I have an independent spirit. I want to do it my way. I don't want anybody telling me how to live. I, I, I know that I need God, and I'm willing to admit that he might have something to say. But at the end of the day, if he asks me to do anything that I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. That's an independent spirit. So, so what are we going to do about that? An independent spirit gets gets cured, gets fixed by, by, by coming to God and saying thank you and recognizing that everything that he's brought into our lives, the good and the bad, is, is because he loves us. Some want to make selfish choices. And let me tell you, I know Steve may have talked about this last week. I did a, a couple weeks ago at the, the men's advance for the Alaska churches. I talked about how we have to learn to confess our sins. We have to learn to repent. And they're different. Confession means I go to someone and I tell them what's going on in my life. Listen, you want to create unity. You want to create a community. You want to create vulnerability. You want to create culture of that. Start confessing your sins one to another. It's biblical. It's scriptural. But confession is not enough. Scripture says that you have to repent. And that Greek word literally means 180 degrees. You have to stop what you're doing and do something different. If you're making selfish choices, listen, and I know this, this may be a taboo and you don't want to hear this, but if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're not married, hence boyfriend and girlfriend, that's wrong. That's a sin. It says so in the Bible. The only way you fix that, listen, there are only two responses. You either ignore that that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you get a seared conscience, you develop an intellectual system to deal with it, right? I'm engaged. It's not going to be a big deal. You know, we're, we're, it's all right. Listen, it's just, just a couple drinks of alcohol. I'm not getting drunk. I only cheat a couple times on my tests. You know, I had one of my students who, who came to me, and he's like, hey, I made like $20,000 on the side of this year. Do you think I should report that as income? There's no record of it. And I'm like, it's the government. But inside, I'm like, no, the, the right thing is to do what's right. And I said, so what are you going to do, man? He's like, yeah, you're right. And he reported that, and it cost him thousands of dollars. And he lost thousands of dollars, but he has his integrity. And he has a conscience now. 
Because every time we ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it sears our conscience, and eventually we won't feel it at all. His voice gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If you are dealing with an intellectual deception, meaning that you're like wrestling with, is this whole thing real? I challenge you to ask God. He talks. He can defend himself. Right? I don't have to get up here and and battle science. I mean, I can. Steve can do it way better than I can. You should talk to him. He blows my mind. I'm like, wow, you're so smart. So glad that you're smart, and I'm not. Romans 12.2 says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Fill your head with God's truth. It doesn't say that last part. That's me. That's Paul's addition. Read scripture. Memorize scripture. Understand what God says about you, about this world, what his hopes and his dreams are. If you fill your head with those things, it's hard to have an intellectual deception come in because you begin to recognize what's not true. Do you guys know how they deal with, how they teach people to recognize counterfeits in the banking system? So when they train someone to recognize counterfeits, they don't give them counterfeit bills. In fact, all they do for weeks on end is give them authentic bills over and over and over again. They handle them. They touch them. They, they, they feel them. They're, they're working through this whole system. They have real United States currency in their hand. And then every once in a while, they'll slip after weeks of this a, a counterfeit in. And they don't know what's wrong, but they know that something is wrong. That's not right. And that's the way it works in our lives. When we begin to understand the truth of the Lord, I had someone on the airplane ask me today, how do you understand and know the will of God? And I literally looked at him and was like, well, it starts with understanding God's word. God's will is there. And if you know God's word, then when someone says he's got a word from you and it doesn't line up with scripture, you can just know that that's not from God because this is God's word. So I'm kind of rambling now. I think... I think there's an opportunity for response. I told Aaron at the beginning of the service, I'm not exactly sure how to move forward in this other than to give you an opportunity perhaps to to spend some time in prayer or perhaps journal and, and identify where you are at in this progression of deception in your life, if you are at all. Perhaps begin to make decisions about how to step away from the lies that are in the spirit. Are you guys up for spending a few moments talking to Jesus about this stuff? I don't know if any of you have things to to confess or repent, but this would be the time. This would be an opportunity to to deal with some of those things in your life. If you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you need to remove the emotional perversion that God is bad, that, that that needs to be moved from your life, and you need to embrace the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, you can talk to me or or to Aaron or any of the other interns that are here, we'd love to help you understand what it means to have a right relationship with God, because he wants to have a relationship with you. All of history, all of this book is God's efforts to be in relationship with you. He wants you. He loves you. I'm going to pray. Olivia is going to play, and I want to just open up this place. We can find a place around the corners, uh, small group leaders, if you want to get together. I'm just going to give us 10, 15 minutes of, of time to just spend in prayer, all right? Lord Jesus, be with us. God, open up our minds and our hearts, Lord, and help us to be sensitive to what you're speaking to us. Lord, more than that, help us to respond and not be cowards. 
but truly respond. In your precious name, amen. Find a place of prayer, guys.